Episode 3, Mission. If you believe passionately in a religion, why would you not want to persuade others to sign up to your beliefs? Proselytism has a long and at times troubled history, especially for Christianity and Islam, not so much for Judaism. And this is one of the conundrums at the centre of the practice of strictly observed religion. Some secular thinkers believe that fervent belief equals intolerance, that religious toleration has only grown in recent times because religious faith itself has weakened. So how should fervent believers conduct themselves? To proselytise or not to proselytise? Perhaps it's all down to how we go about things. Philip Lewis is co-author of the book British Muslims. If you take the challenge of mission seriously, wanting to commend your faith to the other, whoever the other is, that is predicated on understanding the other. So if you have a a sense of I want to share what is most important to me, to people who don't understand it, especially across cultures and indeed religions, then you've got to understand the other in their own terms because otherwise you can't do that stuff. So often some of the proto-anthropologists have been missionaries. They're the ones who spend years translating an oral culture into a literate culture, have created alphabets and so on. And in many ways, if you take the Wycliffe Bible translators, they spend years and years affirming people's local culture. And what more affirming from a Christian perspective, is to say to the other who's part of an oral culture, we're going to create a literate culture for you so you can read the Bible in your own language. That's hugely affirming of those cultures. So instead of sort of delegitimizing diversity in culture, often mission has gone out and has has been a serious player in understanding the other. You know, now, now, so long as mission is inviting without power and coercion, it seems to me perfectly legitimate. In the past, it's certainly true that many missionaries did not take Philip Lewis's respectful approach. These days, sensitivity is much more common, but desire for converts doesn't necessarily disappear. Here's Jack Noble, an Anglo-Catholic priest. I do think that um, institutions have become sort of suspicious of the life of the church. So, for example, you know, we here run uh, regular concerts for people living with dementia and their carers, and we run a regular um, uh, fortnightly open door for people who are lonely, living alone. And it's a wonderful fellowship. And I went down to one of the high street banks and on their community notice board suggested they might like to put up a poster for the dementia concerts and the open door sessions. And they didn't want to because they assumed that I was really in the business of proselytising. So that's slightly annoying because actually all we really want to do is serve the community. Now, do I want people to become Christians? Well, yeah, I think there's something exciting and life-giving this message. But but there's there's a balance, isn't there? I'd much rather live in a society where 
we were all open to sharing our faiths all the time rather than feeling guarded and insecure because I feel like that's just uh, that d- diminishes the great kind of color and fabric of human society but as a Christian you know we are an evangelical face in and I say that as a catholically minded Anglican rather than a kind of Protestant evangelical um, but do I believe that the message that the church is given to proclaim uh, is an urgent one and for all people everywhere yeah uh, it's exciting and, and good it's good news it's not it's not a kind of forced agenda it's it's the news of freedom and, and hope and life And there's the conundrum again. You want to proselytise out of conviction, but you hold back out of something like politeness. Twas ever thus. What about Islamic missionary activity of our own times? Abdul Haq worships at the Brixton Mosque. There was an an, an era, you could say from about 2004 to 2006, where there was a massive influx of youth to become Muslim in sort of this area, South London generally. Huge influx. There was a few of the local conglomerations of youth um, became uh, Muslim and that led to sort of massive sort of loads of sort of youth and on one occasion I remember I was in Brixham Mosque at the time with the Imam there Omar Jamaica at one time and um, these the school kids came in school uniform they must have been about 12 years of age and yeah two of the kids said yeah this is our friend he wants to become a Muslim he's like have you spoke to your <coughs> parents about this maybe you want to go away first and speak to them about this first, because it looked like it was kind of there was a kind of maybe peer pressure. Um, definitely, I mean, I was, I was there. I mean, it was clear maybe peer pressure involved there. So I kind of have to, I'd say, in this area, we've been very astute to these things. Abdul Haq is a Salafi Muslim, a member of a sect which focuses on advocating the purity of early Islamic doctrine, and in that respect, the Salafis embody another paradox about the idea of mission: keeping pure but spreading the word. Guy Eyre is an expert on Salafi theology. Well, my understanding is that actually both of those tendencies are kind of at play. So there's a certain inherent kind of perhaps um, exclusionary tendency insofar as much of Salafi proselytization and educational work is centered on forming a particular Islamic community, perhaps a parallel Islamic community. So there's an exclusionary element going on there. Um, and particularly the emphasis on purity and purification inevitably plays into a kind of emphasis on exclusion insofar as you would need to distance yourself perhaps from the rest of society, which is not pure in the sense that you perhaps as a Salafi would understand it. That being said, um, inevitably these Salafi communities are embedded in much broader, much you know, diverse communities with whom they are interacting. And I also know that some of the well, one particular Salafi organisation in the UK that was at the forefront of much Salafi activism in the 80s and 90s um, has taken a very different turn in, the, I guess, the last 15 years and is actively engaged in seminars, um, activism, conferences with a broad kind of audience and directs a lot of its discourse at a whole variety of different both religious and also perhaps non-religious groups and organisations. And this is a part of the inherent perhaps tension of some sorts within Salafism, uh, an emphasis on purity and therefore exclusion to some extent, but inevitably also an emphasis on dawah and proselytization, bringing people into the your Salafi community. And so those two kind of dynamics are always at work, both kind of re-Islamizing Muslims, trying to get them to be better Muslims in a Salafi sense, but also trying to bring people who 
uh, are not practicing Muslims, who are not Muslims in themselves, to convert to Islam. And so, for example, the Salafi community in South London, centered on the Brixton Mosque and associated madrasas, is a great example of, of an emphasis there on uh, bringing people into Islam um, as perhaps the center piece of their kind of proselytizing work. Whatever the tensions, Salafism seems to be on the up. It's the fastest growing of all the Muslim sects in the UK. One way of advertising your faith is simply living your life by its tenets, rather than by arguing its merits. It's what you might call the Buddhist method. It's not just about a direct, uh, this is Islam and this is what we live in, etc. And it'd be good for you to consider it. It's about how we live ourselves as Muslims. Because people are observing, people are watching us. Uh, if, if you are a really good person, a good human being, a good Muslim in everything that you do, then that can certainly be a huge attraction to others. People will say, wow, it's amazing how this person is living his or her life. Uh, I think I wouldn't mind exploring that. The polite Ibrahim Mogra. Equally polite is Musharraf Hussein, director of the Karama Institute. But being polite does not mean he cannot be forthright about a doctrine that he finds bogus. Well, those, those claims, for example, the, 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 the Christian Trinity, for example, I would robustly um, uh, criticize it. I would robustly um, say that it is against God's dignity and all that. Uh, and I will say to my Christian friend that it is a belief that uh, I cannot entertain and I would not want to entertain. Yes, uh, but, but that's it. You know, but if, if you want to be adamant about it, that is your choice. Perhaps this is all about learning to disagree. The sociologically and theologically astute Amra Bone, a Sharia Council judge from Birmingham, has a few tips. As, as a minority, we are respectful of people of all um, different... I mean, that again goes back to the, the origins within the Qur'an that every single human being has dignity, that we have dignified hum human beings, so we treat them as human beings. Maybe Muslims were in majority, and maybe some people were arrogant. But Islamic teaching, the Qur'anic teaching is to walk humbly upon the earth, uh, Quran or, or teachings of Islam is not my property that I hold it and, that I, and I feel arrogant about it. God says it's God sent the revelation and it's, it's available to all people. So you should not feel arrogant in any form or shape that you are uh, just ha just because you happen to be a majority at a certain part a time in history. Um, I think as, as, as British citizens, we are... Uh, Muslims, we are part of this society, whether in minority or majority, we have rights, like any any other people. Uh, and we're living in very different societies today, and they have a different makeup in terms of how we live. And, and our um, governments, um, they regard themselves as de liberal democracies, and uh, in lib liberal democracies, people have choices. And we, as as minority, have a choice, just like any other minority, to, to work within the law of the land. Mission, in terms of proselytism, does not play much of a role in the Jewish tradition. But one that comes close to it is Chabad, an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic sect. Reuven Lee is a Chabad rabbi based in Cambridge. I think what is very distinct about Chabad outreach is that 
more than uh, more, more than the desire to um, spread a message and convince somebody else of something that they currently don't have it's rather an opportunity to um, un you know give a person an opportunity to reveal who they really are one of the things we um, we didn't we made a, a strong decision when we came to Cambridge is we could have set up the Chabad house as a model of it being like an oasis. So, oh, it's so hard for Jewish students in Cambridge to survive all of the um, influences of college and of their faculty and, 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 and all of their friends. And it's so hard to maintain their Jewish identity in a place that's so, so hostile to it, like a place like Cambridge, that, that, that type of narrative. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a house which is like an oasis. And therefore, people can come here and it can remind them of all those wonderful times they had in North and Northwest London and all that, or in Manchester, and they can feel safe. Um, whereas we, we thought that was quite defensive um, and we wanted to be much more offensive. We believe that Judaism is as robust and as intellectually challenging and meaningful and purposeful as anything that is on offer in a lecture room or a, a, a college bop or a table uh, or, or a formal hall. And we wanted to make our table to be as robust and challenging as anything else that was happening in Cambridge. So we wanted to sort of park our tanks on, on that lawn. And so when someone comes to our house, they're not leaving Cambridge. They're entering into, uh, into a Cambridge that um, doesn't reject religious uh, sensitivity, doesn't reject the possibility of an alternative model than the, the secular um, agenda that is found here in Cambridge very often. Perhaps if a belief is sincerely held and respectfully communicated, it's enough to hope that it will be understood by those of different beliefs and judged accordingly. Conversion is another matter. Thank you for listening to this podcast by the Wolf Institute. The final instalment in this short series about strictly observant religion will be called Engagement.